It's a heavy, heavy duty, truly awe-inspiring. And it takes a very special kind of woman to fit the bill. The type of person who thrives and survives as a military spouse is special in many of the same ways. In fact, a lot of military wives who choose to become surrogates describe their experience as their own sort of deployment. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to today's episode of Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Today, we're going to talk about one special group of women who just so happens to make up a large share of surrogate mothers in the United States, military wives. What makes these women so uniquely suited to serve as surrogates? Is there something in particular that motivates or inspires them to answer the call? Surrogacy has long been a hot topic in military circles. It was featured in the pilot episode of the Lifetime series, Army Wives, a popular TV series that debuted in 2007. Pamela, one of the show's central characters, is a military wife who secretly becomes a surrogate to pay off debt and help her family's financial situation. She and her husband decided to keep the arrangement a secret for fear of judgment, but as is often the case with television dramas, the truth comes out. Rather than facing harsh criticism, she finds a surprising amount of support from fellow military spouses. The storyline may be fictional, but it sparked a lot of debate and discussion, not only in military circles, but also in the media at the time. It turns out the show was onto something that wasn't widely recognized before. Military wives make up a significant portion of all surrogates in the United States with statistics showing that military wives account for as much as 25% of all surrogates. Something's definitely going on. There are a few demographic trends among military families that we should talk about, because these facts will help us understand why military wives tend to qualify as surrogates more easily. First of all, men and women who join the military tend to get married at a much younger age than their counterparts in the general population. Nationwide, The average age of a first marriage for women is around 26. For men, it's closer to 29. Within the military, though, service members tie the knot earlier. The average age for women is 23. For men, it's 25. That means, in general, married couples in the military start having children earlier and end up completing their families at a younger age. Women who are married to service members are more likely to be finished having children of their own by their mid to late 20s putting them at an optimal age and life stage to serve as a surrogate. Another demographic factor that plays a role happens to be location. California and Texas are home to some of the largest populations of active-duty military members. These two states are also considered surrogacy-friendly, meaning that you can legally enter into a compensated surrogacy contract and the courts will enforce the terms of that agreement. California, in particular, is a very popular state for surrogacy journeys because they are one of the few states with solid regulations and legal guidelines on the books. The Golden State is home to some of the country's best fertility clinics and multiple surrogacy agencies, so it makes sense that surrogates in California would be in high demand. With as many as 185,000 active-duty military members stationed there, 
you have the country's largest pool of military spouses centered in a perfect location for safe and legal surrogacy. It's worth mentioning here that, as a rule, there are always far more intended parents seeking surrogates than there are women who are willing and able to serve in this incredibly unique and special role. If you're a military spouse who is intrigued by this idea, keep listening. I bet you'll hear a lot of yourself in this episode. Beyond the basic facts like age and location that makes military spouses uniquely suited, there's a whole host of personality traits, values, and less tangible characteristics to talk about. Because when you really start to think about it, you can find a lot of parallels between surrogacy and military service. A sense of duty, for one. A former Millspouse surrogate, Alicia, said it best in writing about her own experience on our blog. Quote, Our significant others are serving our country. And while it's recognized that spouses are serving too, being a surrogate is another way to give back. Having a child is the best part of life, and what better way to give back than to help another family experience that same joy, end quote. This sentiment is echoed by nearly every mill spouse I've encountered. We'll talk about this a bit more later on, but one thing is drilled into every military spouse's head is the necessity of volunteerism, the duty to give back. And so when certain women hear of intended parents who can't have a baby on their own, that sense of duty is triggered. Much like their spouses stood up and volunteered to serve our country, these women feel called to stand up and serve another family. The realities of military life also has a lot of parallels with surrogacy, and some of them may explain why some women look at the daunting task of becoming a surrogate and say, bring it on. So what are some of these realities? Well, military spouses are quite independent and adaptable out of necessity. Just think about it. They're often left to raise children and manage the household while their spouses are deployed. In times of crisis, a deployment could be called at any moment with little notice. As Alicia put it, quote, being married to a member of the greatest military in the world means that at any moment they could get orders to pack up and leave for any period of time. The ability to stay mentally stable when life throws a wrench in your plans is paramount in the surrogacy world just as it is with our service members. As a surrogate, it can take a year or longer from application to when you give birth. Setbacks can happen for many different reasons, but luckily, as a spouse, we have already learned to just roll with it, putting one foot in front of the other to move forward. The idea that you have to just roll with it makes me think of another saying that fits quite well with both the military lifestyle and surrogacy. Hurry up and wait. If you have any experience with military life, you know what I mean. There's a frantic push to get all your ducks in a row to get ready for a transfer, which in military speak is referred to as PCS or permanent change of station. You know it's coming, so you wait for the orders. Nothing is final until you get the orders. They finally come, so you scramble and pack the boxes, line up the movers, list the house, maybe. You finally get all the paperwork in order, join the Facebook mill spouse community that's local to your new area, and then you wait. You wait for the other shoe to drop, for the wrench to get thrown in your plans. Oh, you thought you were moving to Fort Hood, Texas? You're under contract on a house there? Just kidding, you're going to North Carolina. As one surrogate put it, this experience of never knowing quite what to expect and then just having to pivot and deal with it helped to prepare her for surrogacy. 
This quote comes from a fantastic research article published by sociologist Elizabeth Ziff. It's called The Mommy Deployment, and I'll be referring to it several more times throughout this episode. Ziff interviewed 33 military wives about their decisions to become a surrogate and how their military lifestyle shaped their experiences. Regarding the hurry-up-and-wait culture, one of her interviewees said, quote, My personality of being able to cope with random BS matches parts of my surrogacy journey. I've been conditioned to just take it, end quote. Oh, your IVF cycle just got delayed, pushing your timeline back a few months. Okay. The parents are trying to add a last-minute clause telling me I can only eat vegetarian food while pregnant. Let me call my attorney to deal with it while I sigh and roll my eyes. A global pandemic is raging all around us, so I have to go to all of my OBGYN appointments by myself and may have to wear a mask during labor. Eh, no big deal. I'll do what needs to be done. Another woman interviewed by Ziff put it this way, quote, Our flexibility, our willingness to be flexible, is distinctive about military life. At any given time, we could move. We could have to be without our spouse. I mean, there are so many things that come up that we don't get to control ourselves. Versus the civilian world, if they got a job opportunity, they get to say yes or no. We don't get that option. If we say no, then we lose the military. So we learn to be very flexible and just go with the flow. End quote. That ability to go with the flow kicks into high gear when a spouse is deployed. That ability to go with the flow kicks into high gear when a spouse is deployed. Whether expected or unexpected, the sudden absence of a spouse would normally throw any household into chaos. With military families, it's par for the course. Military wives are known for being self-reliant, able to handle crises, and dramatic life changes on their own, and keep their households running without help or input from their spouses. It's true, of course, that the community plays a pivotal role in rising to the occasion to mobilize and support the spouses of deployed servicemen, but it takes a huge amount of individual strength to power through. There's a certain sense of always feeling second to the military. As one of the SIFS interviewees put it, quote, no matter what happens, the military comes first. If he gets called at four in the morning and he's got to go on base, then he's got to go on base, end quote. She has to weather all of those as they come, moving forward with the interest of the baby she's carrying at the forefront always. A baby that, by choice and by design, is not hers. In many ways, the same is true for the surrogate mother. She commits herself and her body to carrying a baby in service of her intended parents. Unexpected delays, mental, physical, and emotional demands, complications, both medical and emotional, are always possible. It's a heavy, heavy duty, truly awe-inspiring. And it takes a very special kind of woman to fit the bill. The type of person who thrives and survives as a military spouse is special in many of the same ways. In fact, a lot of military wives who choose to be surrogates describe their experience as their own sort of deployment. Ziff, the writer of the article, The Mommy Deployment, stated she got this title from one of her interview subjects. There really are a lot of parallels between a service member's deployment and a surrogate's duties. When a military member is deployed, the whole family mobilizes and adapts to the missing family member. Likewise, when complications of surrogacy cropped up, the whole family needed to find new ways to adapt and function. The woman who used this term in her interview with SIF had been placed on bed rest for several months during her surrogacy pregnancy. She said, 
calling it her, quote, mommy deployment, helped rally the family to buck up, snap to attention, and take care of business without mom around. Using a scenario they were already familiar with, deployment, to frame their thinking about the surrogacy journey really made the sacrifices more bearable. As the interviewee put it, quote, you know it won't last forever. You know you will get through it. You know you have gotten through it before, end quote. The reality of and respect for sacrifice comes through heavily in many interviews with Millspell surrogates. Military families see their fair share of tragedy and loss. Unfortunately, many soldiers don't come home. The reality of life and death for military families is always at the forefront in a way that doesn't really exist for the civilian population, especially among people in their 20s and 30s. Perhaps this is changing now more than ever before as fatalities from the pandemic rise to horrifying numbers. Our rights to life and health can't be taken for granted anymore, which is a sentiment echoed by one of SIF's interviewees. She says that in the military, quote, sacrifice is a true reality. You see the men and women that don't come back home and how that impacts everything we're so grateful to have here. And then you step back and see the people who take it for granted. I could totally take for granted my kids and say they're so easy to have. I could just have more if I needed to. But then you step back and say, I am so lucky. And there are a lot of people out there who aren't as lucky as me. End quote. I have spoken to so many intended parents who relate to this. They took for granted that they would be able to have a baby when they wanted to. When the time was right, it would be easy. And then it wasn't. Over 6 million women in the U.S. struggle with infertility. 10% of all heterosexual couples struggle to get pregnant despite actively trying. Around 1 in 10 men have low sperm counts. And 1 in 100 have no sperm at all. It's estimated that among couples, male infertility is the culprit about a third of the time. And of course, gay couples and single men are biologically unable to have a genetically related child on their own without assistance. And yet parenthood is absolutely one of those things we tend to take for granted. I can see how a military spouse who is constantly confronted with reasons to be grateful and aware of the sacrifices made by others would be stirred to offer the gift of a baby to people who can't have one on their own. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about the role played by the military members in these situations. There has been a laughable misrepresentation in the media that a military wife takes up surrogacy so she has something to do while her husband is away. Now, if you have been pregnant, have ever cared for a child, or had to run a household on your own while your spouse was away, you may have either cursed or laughed out loud. Hopefully, it didn't wake the baby. Clearly, whoever came up with that theory is misinformed. Not only does it not make sense, I mean, as a mom of five, I can't remember the last time I sat around thinking, hmm, what should I do today? Guess I'll just watch some soaps and eat some bonbons. Clearly, it's demonstrably false. One of the interesting things about Sif's research study is that she pretty much dispelled the myth that male spouses take on surrogacy to keep themselves busy during their husband's deployment or long-demanding work hours. In fact, most military couples reported that the husband actually stepped up to take on more of the traditionally female roles in the household, helping with childcare, cooking, cleaning, and running the errands, where in a traditional military deployment, all members of the household rallied together to accommodate the needs of one person, the deployed spouse, and surrogacy roles are reversed. 
The family mobilizes and adapts to accommodate the needs of the wife who has assumed her role of serving her intended parents. Of course, a military deployment could happen at any time unexpectedly, leaving the surrogate mother to rally others in her support system. It just so happens, supporting one another through hard times is something the military spouse community is extremely good at. If you're a current or former mill spouse, this is going to sound old hat to you, but let's talk about it. One of the greatest features of the mill spouse community is its tight-knit closeness. Women embrace one another and form quick bonds in general, which is so necessary when you have to move so frequently. In the civilian world, it would take years for you to make friends with peers in your community. On base, it takes no time at all, and sometimes those friendships begin before you even set foot in your new home. The mill spouse community is super active on social media and has been basically since the early days of the internet. There was mill spouse message boards way back in the you've got mail era of the dial-up, well before Facebook was a thing. Today, social media makes these types of connections even easier, and there are more blogs and mill spouse-specific sites than you could read in a lifetime. This wealth of information and opportunity for connection makes it less daunting for a mill spouse to find her footing in a new location with all of the new people. Many turn to local Facebook groups to meet new people, ask questions, and get the lay of the land. Alicia told us, quote, the first thing a spouse does when orders are issued is join the Facebook group for that area. You are immediately welcomed as part of the community, getting support and recommendations. Because family is not always close by, you learn to rely on almost complete strangers for personal things, like sharing TMI in the women's health department. An openness to share with others will be just what the doctor ordered on a surrogacy journey, end quote. You'll see much of the same type of community among surrogate mothers. There are tons of Facebook groups specifically for Sorrow sisters to connect, swap stories, give advice, and get to know each other. Both groups, mill spouses and surrogates, thrive on an intense feeling of solidarity and camaraderie, so it makes sense that we see such a considerable overlap. Plus, women talk. Surrogacy is commonly discussed in the mill spouse communities, so it's a much more known option than in the general public. Chances are pretty high that a woman in the military community knows someone who has been a surrogate, and if not, she's at least heard of it as a possibility. Your average American woman in your neighborhood will probably have less exposure to the notion of what surrogacy is and how it might be a viable path to pursue. The male spouse community is also extremely driven to volunteerism. I've never seen a meal train get organized so quickly. Someone goes into labor and her freezer is stocked with casseroles before she pushes the baby out. That makes it so much less daunting to sign up for surrogacy. You know you have the help of an army, pun intended, of fellow spouses ready to help you with housework or the cooking, take over your carpool duties, and make sure your kids get home from school safely. They're ready and willing to serve as a, at a moment's notice. I think if every woman in America had that guarantee of support, we'd have tons more people willing to sign up as surrogates. A male spouse knows that even in the worst case scenario, say being put on bed rest while her spouse is deployed, she won't be handling it on her own. And that is a huge factor in why so many sign up for surrogacy. Another huge factor? Yes, the compensation. While becoming a surrogate is never all about the money, it's certainly a determining factor for many women. In a compensated surrogacy arrangement, a surrogate can receive anywhere from 35000 to 80000 
That amount of money is hard-earned. Having a baby is no cakewalk, and there are always potential health risks with any pregnancy. Women who are drawn to surrogacy often say that the financial compensation gives them a unique chance to contribute to the family finances. While many spouses do work outside the home, a lot don't. The sporadic and unpredictable nature of a military member's schedule makes it particularly challenging for their spouse to find a career, not to mention the somewhat frequent relocations. According to a 2014 report, military spouses are significantly more likely to be unemployed or underemployed as compared to their civilian peers, 90% reported by being underemployed given their education or work experience level, and military spouses were three times more likely to be unemployed. Rather than move heaven and earth to find employment outside of the home, many choose to become stay-at-home moms. And it's not like military members are racking in the big bucks. For the hours they work, the pay isn't all that great. According to a 2019 report published by Business Insider, new recruits earn less than 20000 per year, and newly commissioned officers make about $38,000 per year. Even though they also receive a housing allowance, it's hard to raise children with a single income like that. A lot of military wives have to pinch pennies if they can't find a good solution to working outside the home. Surrogacy gives them a chance to match or even exceed their spouse's annual salary. And for those women who enjoy pregnancy and who also find it tricky to maintain a career outside the home, surrogacy can be the perfect solution. Being able to spend time at home with their own children while also contributing to their family finances is a dream come true for many. Now, I know some intended parents are a little hesitant about working with a military spouse at first. Most often, they worry that she'll have to be relocated in the middle of the pregnancy. What happens if all of a sudden her family needs to move to a state where surrogacy contracts can't be enforced? What if they have to move overseas? It's a completely understandable question to consider. And let me tell you, it's not something you should really have to worry about. Despite common understanding, military families don't get uprooted willy-nilly, forced to pack their bags overnight. Deployments, yes, but a soldier won't be taking his wife and kids along to some mission overseas. In reality, the process for a PCS is planned well in advance and moves only happen on average every two to three years. Maybe think twice about a surrogacy arrangement if the military member has been in the same spot and think a transfer may be looming. But for the most part, relocation isn't an issue. The worst case scenario does happen every once in a while, unfortunately. If a surrogate spouse does receive orders to relocate during the pregnancy, there will have to be some tough decisions. First and foremost, you'll need to find out about surrogacy laws in the state they've been ordered to relocate to. If the state is surrogacy friendly, you'll have less to worry about. It may be a hassle to get a contract amended, find a new hospital, and complete a move while pregnant, but there won't be any legal jeopardy. The worst, worst case scenario is that a spouse is ordered to move to a state where surrogacy is illegal. At the time of this recording, that includes Nebraska, Michigan, and Louisiana. If you deliver the baby in one of those states, you face some severe penalties, including possible jail time and monetary fines. Absolutely, you need to avoid this scenario at all costs. The vast majority of states have no specific laws on surrogacy which means that the way these arrangements are treated relies heavily on past case law and court interpretation. 
consult with an attorney who specializes in surrogacy arrangements to get a lay of the land before moving in that particular state. All of this assumes that you'll be moving with your spouse right away, which is not always the case, even when surrogacy is not involved. It's fairly common for military members to relocate months ahead of their families, with wives and children staying behind to tie up loose ends, complete the current semester at their schools, or to fulfill any lingering obligations. It's absolutely worth considering a delayed move for you while you stay behind to complete the pregnancy, especially if you're nearing the end of your pregnancy. No matter what you choose, you'll have to approach the scenario with an abundance of caution and a lot of reflection. In the grand scheme of things, a few months staying behind may be less stressful and complicated than moving in the middle of a surrogacy arrangement. Something else you should be aware of. Some male spouses have found that some of the benefits that come with a traditional pregnancy are not available to them. For example, if a surrogate finds herself on bed rest or unexpectedly in labor, it's possible that the military member won't be granted leave or time off to help care for his wife. Some surrogates have reported that their spouses weren't granted leave because it wasn't their baby. Therefore, they didn't qualify for any kind of parental benefits. It's not clear how common this is, but it's a potential complication to be aware of, and it highlights just how important it is to have a robust support system in place. As is often the case with surrogacy, the topic of its prevalence among military wives has stirred up some controversy a time or two. Much of it centers around the question of possible exploitation. Is it fair for surrogacy agencies to specifically target military wives as potential surrogates? Are military wives particularly vulnerable to being coerced or talked into surrogacy? There have been some who called it wombs for hire, breeder stock, or tummy mummies. I like to say this perspective is actually insulting to military wives. It implies that these women are not capable of making an informed decision about their lives and bodies, and that's just wrong. In reality, military wives who choose to become surrogates do so after much research, deliberation, and discussion with their spouses. No one jumps into surrogacy blind, and our industry works very hard to ensure women are never taken advantage of. We'll talk more about that later in the episode when I discuss certain factors that will disqualify a potential surrogate. Spoiler, a major one has to do with her family's financial situation. Another controversy involves TRICARE, which is the medical insurance provided to military members and their families. TRICARE became an attractive benefit to working with military spouses because they could often use the health insurance to cover the cost of the pregnancy. This saves intended parents so much money, and so finding a surrogate who has a surrogate pregnancy covered by her own insurance is like finding a unicorn. A lot of agencies began specifically targeting their marketing to attract military wives. For a long time, surrogates could feel pretty confident about operating under a sort of don't ask, don't tell policy. It was a pretty widely known secret that TRICARE rarely, if ever, checked up on who was having babies for whom. After a series of media reports about the issue, including an in-depth investigation published in Glamour magazine in 2010, the insurance company started to crack down. Various media outlets ran stories about the ethics of using government-funded health care to pay for a presumably wealthy couple to have a baby through surrogacy. People balked at the idea of taxpayer funds being used in this way. TRICARE revised their policy to be more explicit about their coverage. 
Currently, it reads as follows, quote, TRICARE coverage for surrogacy health care is a limited benefit. TRICARE pays second for services in supplies related to maternity care after the surrogate mother seeks reimbursement from the adoptive parents, end quote. The media frenzy surrounding TRICARE has had lasting impacts on the industry. To this day, you can Google military wives plus surrogacy and articles mentioning the controversy are on page one. Today, it's a big risk to assume that TRICARE won't investigate, although there are still women who successfully use their TRICARE coverage for a surrogacy arrangement. The consequences can be pretty hefty if they do discover that you have used TRICARE coverage on a surrogacy pregnancy. They will demand reimbursement from the surrogate mother. One woman was billed nearly $100,000 after TRICARE investigated. Most agencies, including mine, strongly advise intended parents to purchase a separate maternity policy to cover the pregnancies. And really, any intended parent who are working with a reputable agency or who have done proper homework on independent journeys will be expecting to pay for health insurance anyway. It's best to just avoid trichea with surrogacy. Now that we've explored the ins and outs of surrogacy and the military spouse community, are you thinking this might be for you? If so, you might want to grab a pen and take some notes for the next few minutes. First, be sure to do your homework. The decision to become a surrogate is not one to be taken lightly. You'll want to research the requirements and expectations involved. While each agency and IVF clinic varies a bit in who can serve as a gestational carrier, there are some industry standards to be aware of. Gestational carriers, which is a technical industry term for surrogates, have to be in great health and have a history of at least one healthy pregnancy. Intended parents are entrusting you and their child, so they need to make sure you're physically and emotionally healthy enough to handle pregnancy and childbirth. And IVF clinics have it in their best interest to make sure only the carriers with the highest likelihood for a successful pregnancy are chosen. Some of the health qualifications for our surrogates at Family Inceptions include the following. First, you have to have a healthy BMI, somewhere between 19 and 29. No tobacco, alcohol, or drug use, and have no recent history of mental illness. This means you can't be on any medications for conditions like depression, anxiety, bipolar, or postpartum depression. You also need to have a history of uncomplicated pregnancies and deliveries. And you need to have had at least one child of your own that you're raising and no more than five deliveries. There are qualifications beyond the health requirements as well. You must be financially stable, and you need to be able to provide for your family without government assistance. This takes some people aback at first. After all, surrogates are getting paid, right? Well, yes, but if compensation is the main motivator, you're in it for the wrong reasons. We never want a woman to feel like she must turn to surrogacy just to make ends meet. That's why we don't accept surrogates who are receiving food stamps, cash aid, or other forms of government aid. By requiring a certain level of financial stability, we are actively trying to avoid a scenario of exploitation. The narrative of women turning to surrogacy out of financial desperation is an often cited criticism leveled by those who wish to outlaw the practice. So we in the industry take this requirement very seriously. And to be blunt, if your only motivation is the money, you're not going to make a very good surrogate. The compensation you receive is meant to reward you for your generosity and commitment. The strain on your body, your emotions, and your time is significant. The compensation reflects that. 
But if your only reason is for doing it for money, you're going to have a horrible time. I like to think of surrogacy as a mutually beneficial gift. You are gifting the joy of parenthood to someone while also being able to contribute to your family's financial dreams. Many of the mill spouses who have worked with our agency have been able to pay off student loans, save for a down payment on their dream homes, or establish funds for their children's education. It's no exaggeration to say that surrogacy has changed their lives for the better. There's one last qualification I want to touch on today, and that's the matter of your support system. Your family and immediate social circle needs to be on board. This is one of the greatest advantages military spouses have. You already have a built-in community of peers who have ingrained sense of duty and service. And your spouse and children, their support is absolutely necessary. It may take some commitment and education at first. Trust me, my husband took some time and a lot of persuasion to come around to me being a gestational carrier. If you get pushback at first, keep trying. Sometimes it really is about making sure they understand the process and the education behind it all. Surrogacy affects the whole family, so total support is definitely a requirement, at least from the most immediate family members. We give you permission to ignore great Aunt Mary. Your spouse will not only need to verbalize his support to you, he'll also have to literally sign on for the journey. Once you're matched with your intended parents, your spouse will sign the surrogacy contract right alongside you, and he'll need to undergo background checks, medical, and psychological screening. And we can't forget about your children through all of this. No matter what ages they are, you'll want to make sure they have a good understanding of what's happening. Of course, the conversation will change based on the maturity level your kids are at, but in my experience, most are excited to watch mom's tummy grow in service to another family. It's pretty special to be such a living example of generosity and compassion to your children. There are several wonderful children's books that discuss surrogacy to help you start the conversation. Family support is crucial, which is why all of our surrogates go through a home study involving all residents and family pets. We want to make sure our surrogates have safe, healthy, and supportive homes. If it sounds like you're healthy enough for surrogacy, that you're financially stable, and that you have the support of your immediate family, you should feel confident in taking the next steps. Of course, you'll still need to obtain medical clearance from your OBGYN and family physician, and you'll need to pass a psychological screening and background check. But those things will come later on in the process. The last topic I want to touch on is what to do when someone criticizes your decision to become a surrogate. The good news is that because surrogacy is more common in the military community, you may be less likely to get the side eye from strangers and acquaintances. My advice is to have fun with it. It's always amusing to answer a well-meaning person's congratulations with the snappy, oh, the baby's not mine. The more comfortable you are having the conversation and keeping it lighthearted, the more the stigma and the controversy around surrogacy will be lifted. Another solution I have heard of and fully endorse, sorrow moms who advertise their situation with fashion. Don't worry, it's not mine. And not the mom, just the store. Or a few t-shirt slogans I've seen for sale around the internet. All joking aside, I hope today's episode has helped shed some light and dispel some myths about military wives who serve as surrogates. To the mill spouses who are listening, I am personally thankful for each and every one of you, for your family's service to our country, and for your selflessness in making a hopeful parent's dreams come true. 
Your sacrifices are awe-inspiring. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook channel under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.